Welcome to the Psychology World Podcast. I'm Connor Whiteley, bringing you with psychology news, articles and other interesting psychology related articles. You where I can find the podcast notes and more interesting psychology related things and you can get your free 8 psychology book box set at connorwhiteley.net. Now let's get on to the show. Hi everyone and welcome to episode 142 of the Psychology World Podcast with me, Colin Whiteley. And today's episode is on what happens when therapists are attracted to clients. So this topic I thought was really fun and sort of really interesting because there's so many different things to actually like consider. And to be honest, I was actually rather surprised at the length of the blog post, which I wrote up for today's episode, but this is filled with someone's like, good information and it's also really interesting to actually get some perspective not only for us and our fellow um, therapists whether future or current but it's also interesting to hear about it from our client's perspective as this is a really interesting podcast episode and it is Friday the 1st of April 2021 as I record this 2022 sorry <laughs> so we're moving on to the psychology news section we've been from the British Psychological Society Research Digest and the first one is absolutely brilliant because I've actually got some personal experience with it. So the first one is, when the school day starts later, teens get better sleep and feel more motivated. Getting out of bed is the first major hurdle of most teens' weekdays, often assumed to be the product of laziness or moodiness. This difficulty rising in the morning is actually due to adolescent sleep patterns. During teenage years, circadian rhythms are relatively delayed causing teenagers to both go to sleep and wake up later in the day even so schools in the uk still demand that teens attend lessons from 9am or earlier whilst high schoolers in germany or the us may start as early as half 7am wow that's early <laughs> this holds students to early um, rise times that are more suitable to those in other age groups in an attempt to compensate for the lost sleep during the week, teens often oversleep on weekends and reduce sleep overall, as poor sleep routines are associated with, a, with cardiovascular issues, mood disorders, substance abuse and more. It's easy to see why um, in improving sleep in teens is an appealing target, but what if school starting times worked with rather than against teenage sleep requirements? requirements. So this is actually really interesting now. Because I actually had some uh, personal research experience like, with this. Though. Because uh, back when I was in uh, um, uh, sixth form, which is the 16 to 18 year old education system here in like, the UK, uh, my uh, psychology teacher like, told us that some um, researchers from uh, the University of Oxford would actually be like coming in uh, to actually like, conduct um, research on this like, very uh, topic, which they didn't end up like doing it. But then I actually like read into the literature more and this is very, very true. And to be honest, the great shame about this is that uh, and because no governments are ever like, research based, this will sadly like never change. And if it does, it will be amazing because this really would help teenagers to actually like learn better, better, which therefore has tons of other impacts. Yeah, but like um, positive impacts on the like, economy, people's lives and etc. But I just don't think this would ever happen because, yeah, just because in like my experience, experience, the political changes that would need to happen because of this would just, nah, would literally never happen. So the, the second one is embracing discomfort rather than avoiding it can help us work towards our personal goals. 
In order to develop new skills or grow as a person, you often have to get out of your comfort zone. Say that you want to become a better public speaker, you would have to get up and practice speaking in front of others, and that will likely feel awkward and uncomfortable at first. Yep, I will never do that. (laughs) Or not unless I absolutely have to. This can create barriers to personal growth, because those feelings of discomfort that you experience will come well before you notice any improvement in your skills. As a result, you might feel that the negative emotional experience is not worth it and you would give up on the goal. But what if we reframe our attitude towards towards discomfort, seeing it as a sign of a progress and something to strive for rather than avoid? A new paper in Psychological Science just um, suggests that this is that's this way of thinking that can actually motivate people to work towards their goals. So that's actually very interesting because as we know from like clinical psychology and like lots of other areas of within psychology, reframing topics and like reframing tougher situations can actually be very, very powerful. So yes, that's definitely like something to work on if we do want to improve ourselves. And the final one is, here's how our ability to emphasize it changes as we get older. How does our age affect our ability to empathize? Some researchers think about our ability to understand and respond to others' feelings follows an inverted U-shaped pattern, with empathetic skill peaking in middle age before declining again in older age. But Michelle Kelly at the University of Newcastle and our colleagues point out in their paper in Neuropsychology, findings in this field have ever been mixed mixed their new work on 131 adults aged 17 to 94 suggests that whilst people over the age of 65 aren't quite as good as cognitive empathy working out what someone is likely to be feeling they are just as good as feeling as feeling up with others that were so empathy is always very critical that were like of whatever age we are but if you've ever done like personality psychology before well, then you might be a member that the number of like personality traits, um, yeah, but like a traits that will like decline and actually increase at different stages like, of our lives. And of course, empathy is not a personality trait, but it just shows that our behavior can actually like um, change it depending on our age. So, very important to actually research that and actually consider it. So, that's enough for psychology news section. So, let's move on to the personal update. So we're moving on to the personal update. So this week has actually been a like very strange week that we're like not only because of my like mum has like have a COVID, but thankfully like she's a fine now. So I've had to be looking after her and like, doing like, other stuff that were but I've also launched a like Kickstarter for my affiction and I know that I never talk about my affiction on like this podcast, but it was such a major event like this a week because the project funded it in like three days, which is like never happened before. And a Kickstarter itself, which is a like crowdfunding platform. Yeah, but I actually like labelled it as like, a project to wheel up, which is like a very major thing because basically the like, it means that um they think that is excellent and they actually want to highlight it. So I'm really pleased like, about that. So if any of you were like interested in like fancy books, then I like, definitely like check out my uh, Kickstarter. And they do make like great gifts. Right, there be a link in the podcast description. But besides from like those two things, I'm actually like really looking forward to going to like to London like next week because I'm going to a major international conference. 
Yeah, so that would actually be like really good. That would be like to be like, see everyone and like hear some really like interesting talks. And what will most probably happen is, is that I'm not going to tell you like the actual name of the conference yet, but I'll do that like next week. But I will most probably find some stuff to re- reflect on, which won't be enough for a podcast episode, but it probably will be for some of my like reflective books. And as always, I always love to hear your thoughts and feelings on today's episode. So you can always email me, connorwhitely at connorwhitely.net. You can always leave a comment on the show notes at connorwhitely.net forward slash podcast. And you can always tweet me on Twitter at sci-fi whitely. I always love to hear from all of you because it really helps make the podcast feel more like a conversation. And today's episode has been sponsored by Psychology of Relationships, the social psychology of friendships, romantic relationships and more. Third edition. So this is an absolute brilliant book, which is the perfect sponsor for today's episode because not only does this um, really engaging book actually focus on friendships and like the biological, cognitive, and social reasons for why friendships and romantic relationships develop, but then it also goes on to like other stuff like a bystanderism, um, a communication, and why relationships are changing and and so many more great topics. So if you really like enjoyed today's episode, then definitely like check out like this book because it really does build upon it, and uh, you will be able to um, understand the more general concepts at a much deeper level. So that is Psychology of Relationships, available from all major ebook retailers, and you can get the payback, large print, and hardback version from Amazon at your local bookstore or local library if you request it. So well, let's move on to the content part of today's episode. So we're moving on to the content part of today's episode. So we're going to be looking at what happens when um, when therapists are attracted to a client. So this is a really good podcast episode that I cannot recommend enough. But before we dive in to the actual study that inspired like today's episode, I actually just hope, um, I actually just want to mention though like why are we actually looking at this topic. So to be honest, there are two main critical reasons why we need to look at this topic. Firstly, because our clients will become uncertain about finding the right therapists for them. And whilst there are plenty of tried and tested methods for helping them with that, and we've actually spoken about that on the podcast episode before, some clients will still be uncertain about will they be comfortable, will they like the therapist, and amongst other things. And this is even more important when it comes to clients with a history of emotional and slash or sexual abuse, since they will be concerned about history repeating itself. Secondly, it is perfectly normal for therapists to find a client attractive from time to time, and there are caveats, and I promise you that I will actually like get into them later on. Since you can easily compare it to a two doctors, nurses, or whoever, looking at a patient walking through a doctor's surgery then now uh, between themselves, like they might say, "Oh yeah, like he's hot, he's uh, yeah, well, like he's uh, handsome, etc." But that's it. Of course, this uh, might not be strictly professional, but it happens, and this is where the research comes in. So uh, this is what actually happens. So I mean, it actually turns out that lots of um, therapists do uh, experience occasional sexual or romantic feelings towards their clients, but only an extremely small percentage actually do anything about it, as well as act on them. And this is what I knew a study by Vanessa and all what 2020 had discovered. And this there study that will actually be the focus of today's episode. And as always, if you want any of the references from today's podcast episode, 
then then like i just had to go to connorwiley.net forward slash podcast and find episode 142 we will quickly explain what they did did they sent a 15 minute long survey to a belgium psychotherapist and it contains sections on intimate feelings and behaviors related to sexuality and friendship towards a client as well as another section that looked at the participants sexuality relationships and such or relationships or friendships with patients and how many of them they had had in the past year or their entire career. Then finally, the survey collected the participants' demographics, for example, their education level, their sexuality, gender and age, therapists' feelings and behaviours towards their clients. The first section of the survey found that the response rate was 40%, giving them a total final sample of 758 mental health professionals. Then naturally, because of the whole like psychology demographic, 69% of them were female, 89% of them were heterosexual, and 83% of them were between the ages of 20 and 59. Then, in terms of behaviour, it turns out that 71% of the therapists said that they sometimes or regularly found one of their clients sexually um, attractive, and about 23% of them actually fantasised about having a romantic relationship with them, but an additional 4% fantasised about having sexual contact with a patient. Now, interestingly enough, it was very common for therapists to develop friendship-related behaviours and feelings towards their clients. For example, 80% of our therapists had accepted gifts from a client and 72% of them had a perception of feeling like a client was a friend. Personally, I think that this is extremely interesting because this would play in to the therapeutic alliance since both the therapist and the client need to be comfortable in front of each other. Mainly so the client wants to reveal their past and things about themselves so the therapist can start helping them to relieve their psychological distress. Therefore, whilst this might sound bad or very shocking, and to be honest it is, (laughs) I think that there are benefits to the therapist feeling like friends with the client as that helps both parties, parties strengthen the therapeutic alliance. Then this only becomes dangerous or bad if one party takes it too far which is what we'll talk about in a moment. Therapists, clients and their friendships. In addition, only 15% of the surveyed psychotherapists had started a friendship with a client and mostly the surveyed therapists had only started this friendship after the therapy had ended, which of course is a lot better because it ensures that no boundaries were broken. However, only 3% out of the entire sample had started a sexual relationship with a client, as only 1% of the sample had done this during therapy. And of course, this 1% would be quite dangerous, and it'd be really unethical. And to be honest, I just don't know why you would want to do it, because you would basically be risking your job and your career. Because if you were found out to do that, you would be pretty much blackballed within a psychology, and you would not be able to get another job. And to be honest, yeah, you would probably, yeah, because you would also have your license stripped away from you. Well, most of that probably. So, yeah, just just don't do that. (laughs) Yeah, seriously, don't. Boundary violations by a therapist. So after looking at this study, I think that we can all feel more confident in saying that many therapists can experience occasional sexual thoughts, feelings or fancies about people where they are treating. As well as 7 out of 10 therapists more men than women 
found that a patient is sexually attractive and nearly a quarter of a therapist had the fantasies about being in a relationship with their patients. Thankfully, so few therapists actually violate boundaries with their clients. Clients, Since the study found that less than 1 in 30 therapists actually crosses the line in and out of that dangerous area. Also, even in these cases, it tends to only be one client in their entire career. So, uh, yes, like uh, people were doing this like in a series and the patterns of our behavior is actually almost like unheard of, which is actually quite good. And then uh, there are other studies that actually support these findings. Because studies like Garrett and Davis 1998 have also found a similar rate. Overall, these sexual fantasies and their feelings might be common but acting on them is rare and that's why I actually wanted to talk about this topic because I wanted to dispel any myths around therapists praying or hooking up with their clients. Why do therapists feel strong connections with their clients? So that's definitely one of the biggest questions that that this entire topic has actually prompted us. So the reason for this is probably because therapists and clients spend a lot of time alone together in a room. Here, the client and the therapist talk about extremely personal and intimate details of their lives, as well as we know from Social Penetration Theory by Ullman and Taylor 1973. When communication moves from a shallow level to a deeper level of a personal disclosure, people will tend to feel closer, as well as with a therapist always attending at these sessions with empathy and without judgment. This environment is very conducive to intimate feelings developing. But then if we flip this over, um, so we focus on other clients themselves, they are made to their romantic or sexual feelings for the therapist for the same reason. Why are male therapists more likely to start a relationship with a client? And this was one of the more subtle you know, like subtle questions then at the next annual 20 or 22 actually found out. So there were like three reasons for this. So there were like three reasons for this, which, which I'll tell you about now. So the first one is that men tend to experience stronger and more frequent sexual desires. Or it's because they are exposed to a lot more opportunities for sexual attraction, since the vast majority of male therapists are heterosexual, and the um, majority of therapy clients are women. Although that is probably just because of all the nonsense that society like makes out about men like having to be tougher, don't show emotion and all and over the other utter nonsense that is like a spread about to actually stop men from getting the help that they need but anyway though <laughs> yeah that's just one of my like, little like, soapboxes nevertheless there is a third possibility here which relates to power which is what the authors note open a quote the need or ability to dominate and control can also play a role in cases of sexual abuse. Studies of gender differences have shown that men overall desire power more and possesses higher levels of power. Close a quote. Of course, the, the entire point of this podcast episode is not to give men a bad name. Since the vast majority of men are amazing, wonderful and very good people. But it is always the tiny minority yeah, that gives the majority a bad name. That uh, and, like, positions of a power, like a therapist, always attracts a few predators, just like doctors, teachers and church people. Therefore, the last point is something to just bear in mind and remember that not all men are like that. Conclusion So, personally, I always like to look at people's sexual interests, relationships and how social psychology can impact people. 
so well when I found this researcher that intersected with a clinical psychology, I just had to do an episode on it and I'm really glad that I did. Since, if anything else, I really hope that this has set your mind at ease, whether you're a future or current therapist, that it is normal to feel where sexual feelings are towards your client and it doesn't make you some weird, awful person. But it is important to bear in mind that unethical uses of power and of relationships can occur. And that is something we must all be vigilant against. So I really hope that you enjoyed today's episode and that you got something out of it. Out of it, like I know that I did and I really enjoyed it. So I hope that like you would do too. If you know someone who would enjoy today's episode, then please share it with them. I'm always really grateful when you wonderful people help spread the words about the podcast. And definitely check out Psychology of Human Relationships. The Social Psychology of Friendships, Romantic Relationships and More, third edition. It's a great book that I cannot recommend enough and it's available in all but the usual places. But if you didn't want to buy a book, but you still wanted to give the podcast a bit like one-time support, then now please go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash Connor Whiteley. So have a great day everyone and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening today. I hope you enjoyed it. If you want to see the show notes, then please go to connorwhitesley.net. And if you want a free eight book psychology box set, then please go to connorwhitesley.net. Have a great day and I'll see you next time.